Hello and welcome. Not from the corner of Glenway and Monroe, and not from the Gimme Some Truth Studios, it's Forwards Backwards Podcast. This week we discuss how Kyle was right, Kyle was wrong for talking about being right, and how Kyle is always on the left. As always, I'm joined by the David Crosby and Stephen Stills to my Graham Nash, Kyle Carr, the hardest working man in Madison sports podcasting, and Dan Fallon, who is already planning his next vacation. Dan, Kyle, at what point do we assign Grant Wall to the same category of purgatory as he who shall not be named and refuse to ever speak of him again? Dan, do you want to provide the context here? I, I can, I can. So Grant Wall tweeted uh, being, he, he was annoyed that the Liverpool-Everton match was kicking off at, uh, I believe, would have been 7.30 p.m. or 7.30 a.m. on Saturday morning. Uh, East Coast Standard Time, 6.30 here East in the Midwest. Co- 6.30. So he, and he, he uh, basically, you know, making the point of why the heck is this a really, really important game being played at this very, very early time. He forgot, you know, and he, so he was asking a question. He, he seemed to be like, inform me, which I think most people would say, if you're the soccer writer that you say you are, you should fully realize that derbies uh, are often played as the first game of the day in England so that you can reduce the amount of drinking that the two sets of fans will do prior to going into the stadium and clashing with each other. But the other, so I simply said, I think you should know I think you should know the answer to this without having to ask it, which he then retorted that I should read his 1999 article that he wrote about the old firm Derby in Scotland, uh, suggesting that he actually does know exactly why the game was being kicked off at that time of morning, but simply it was just kind of asking a ridiculously stupid question. Um, also ignoring the fact that I don't think England chooses the t- kickoff times to satisfy American soccer fans. Uh, and if they were going to satisfy overseas fans, it would more likely be for their gigantic Asian audience. And the Liverpool game would have been kicking off at prime time in most of Asia. So um, I will say this about Grant Wall. I don't find him to be as uh, intentionally evil as the redheaded center back who shall not be named. Um, I do find him to be just as stupid though. Funny thing, the old firm Derby was happening at the same time <laughs> that same day. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And I think the Milan Derby as well. Yeah. And, and, then, so, and, as, and as was, as was pointed out in another conversation, just because the fans aren't going to the stadium doesn't mean they can't get drunk and find each other on the streets of whatever city the Derby is being played in. So I think that it's still valid that the police would prefer to have some of these matches played at an earlier time during the day. Yeah, and it was funny because at the same time, you're thinking about it. He, he's done this before where he was saying, oh, all these young U.S. soccer players, why have they not been called up? To the national team, it's like, well, the U.S. haven't played a soccer game since February. <laughs> I think, uh, I think, Kyle, game. that one upset you. Yeah, I think that one. Are Kyle, you fucking Kyle kidding Kyle me? <laughs> like, yeah. no shit, Grant Wall and Conrad wasn't even close to being on Barcelona's first team. Gio Reyna had just started being a thing. Chris Richards is still playing in the third division of Germany. Like, come on, Grant, you you know that answer. Stop doing that. 
Ugh, idiot. So, so then again, if there was fighting, there would, probably would have been more fighting in the streets of Liverpool after that match, regardless of the drink. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I mean, the, the, the one thing that I will uh, give credit to Grant Wall is that that match ruined my entire weekend taking place. So if it had been the last match on Sunday, maybe I could have like kind of enjoyed. But like, you know, the other thing that annoys the bejesus out of this is Grant Wall's reply of like, bro, check out my article from 1999. First of all, fuck you, Grant Wall. Like <laughs> your article from 1999 was stupid. Everything you've ever written is stupid and uninteresting. You are a stupid and uninteresting writer. You don't say anything interesting. There are about 150 more interesting articles about the Derby than anything that you've ever written. Okay? So just shut up on that front. Second of all, everybody comes through with about 18 different answers, and then you're like, you know, trying to gatekeep. Oh, I wrote this. I wrote about this in 1999. I'm an old school expert. Piss off, Grant. You've been writing about soccer for 20 years. You still don't know anything about the game. You're still a moron and still terribly uninteresting. I mean, you compare. I feel like, like, I, feel like I feel like you're now using Grant Wall as a proxy for the uh, for the Merseyside Derby. Uh, you know, uh, all of a sudden the, Mer- <laughs> the Merseyside Derby entered into my bloodstream. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very angry. Now, the other thing that came up, and, and Kyle, I want, I want to thank you for mentioning it, is there, there are two things related to the youths that kind of uh, propped, popped into mind. And uh, one has to do with a guy uh, who is at Forward Madison and, and has taken over the, the goalkeeping uh, role, uh, Chris Brady, 16 years old, as I've, I've said, and, uh, you know, uh, to these two yahoos on other forums. Uh, I haven't been a, this excited about a 16-year-old goalkeeping prospect since a certain Keith Pony was, was between the, between the pipes. Uh, but uh, the other thing that, that is interesting to me is this outgrowth of U.S. youth talent. And one of them uh, scored a banger uh, for uh, uh, the Red Bulls of New York uh, last week. Was it Wednesday, Dan? Uh, I think I believe so, yeah. Yep. And so you discovered the article kind of going into a little bit of the, the background detail because apparently he could have come and played uh, for Madison. So why don't you fill, fill listeners in on this? Yeah, so Caden Clark, who recently <clears throat> signed his first professional contract with the Red Bulls after playing, it, it's still a little unclear. It looks like he played a little bit for the Minnesota Academy. He never made an appearance with the senior team. They were having trouble signing him to a professional contract because they didn't really have a path for him. I don't think Minnesota felt like he was ready to play with the main team. And then what came out in the article was that apparently it had been floated with his family um, sending him to Madison on loan uh, to get him some experience in USL League One, which didn't end up happening. Apparently his family wasn't really interested in that. So Minnesota was kind of left, I think, in a position of they had a player who was looking to push on and they didn't really have a path for him. So they negotiated a deal with the rebels that they feel like was, you know, advantageous for them, given the position that they were in without an Academy team, without a reserve team, without any sort of structure to their club, other than their, (laughs) their their senior team. Now, um, 
I have some comments because I, you know, you presented it as it was presented. I hope so. You're, you're, a pod, you're a, you're a white male podcast host. I'd hope yeah. you have some. Uh, but some uh, as our resident Minnesota United fan, Kyle, I wanted to turn over these comments to you because we did have an affiliation with Minnesota last year. Uh, I don't think a lot of us were left feeling terribly satisfied by that affiliation and uh, kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what Adrian Heath was saying about young Caden Clark. Also, I have my doubts about this guy becoming a world-class soccer player because it's really hard to be intimidated by a guy named Caden, uh, but continue. Why does Adrian Heath continuously piss me off? <laughs> Version, I don't know, we're at least 70 at this point. But Adrian Heath, and this also ties into the Merseyside Derby, how convenient that this guy has no clue what he's doing, which makes sense because he played for the other side of Liverpool that is far <laughs> inferior. <sighs> For those of you watching at home on the simulcast, Dan is wearing a sweatshirt in their colors. So let's just put it that way. Oh, so anyway, with Adrian Heath, I, I, he's not a good evaluator of young talent. I feel like he got lucky with Hassani Dotson and Chase Gasper. And because they have, they play in positions that lack depth at the time, he threw them out there and it worked out. But as we saw with the affiliation, he had Dane St. Clair, didn't really play at Madison. Part of that could have been because Brian Sylvester and Ryan Coulter were better, but at the same time, didn't really play there, didn't really play in Minnesota. Wyatt Omsberg, they would randomly call up at random points. Carter Manley, they randomly call up at random points. So the fact that Adrian Heath, I feel like he doesn't know what to do with young players uh, unless they're coming from South America and then they give him a designated player contract and he barely plays, and that just makes things more confusing. Um but it would have been interesting to see how he would have done in Madison because, I mean, we saw it. He's very talented, and Red Bulls were really excited to get him on their senior team. And I know there are some hoops that they had to jump through to get his you know, player rights or whatever from Minnesota. But, I mean, the fact that they made no effort to get an affiliate this year, they have slashed and eliminated their academy, and they're retrying it with the impending news of MLS Reserve League coming. Adrian Heath just doesn't evaluate young talent well, and he, I feel like he just doesn't know what to do with it. And maybe it's because he doesn't feel like he has the time, especially after what happened with Orlando. But that's just another another good player Minnesota could have had, and they decided to give away because Adrian Heath is just out of his element at times. That's um, and so I, I want to just build on a couple of things you said, Kyle. One of the things we looked at is that's a very old roster, right? And the other thing with Minnesota United that's happened is Mason Toy, who didn't score for us but started scoring for Minnesota, where is he now? He's in Montreal where, honestly, for his career, probably better. I'd rather be coached by Thierry Henry as a forward than Adrian Heath. Uh, you know, uh, no offense to – well, offense to Adrian Heath, quite frankly. Um, you know, Thierry Henry a little bit better than, than Inchi. Um, but, you know, you can't uh, – you know, and it was like, well, we, we could send him to Madison, but like, why would, why would that happen? And I think part of the, the difference here is they don't have, as you said, no, they have no plan in place for developing. They cut their academy. You know, Red Bulls have a very clear path for players moving forward. You, you saw it with Tyler Adams, right? You can move up through Red Bull from the Red, you know, he was an academy player, RB2 up to, to you know, the, the main squad, off to, to Leipzig, you can move through. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg under Jesse Marsh just signed 
Um, and I'm now blanking on the name from, from Brandon Aronson from yeah. Philly. Aronson, thank you, uh, from Philly. So you know that's an organization that values young talent. They have a system in place for developing the young talent. So, yeah, you could look at what, you know, Caden Clark says, I don't want to go to Madison. I don't think it has anything to do with Madison as a destination for young players because we're seeing Chicago use these young players and, and develop them. And I don't think they're upset that the young players that they have down here with Madison aren't playing as much as Chris Brady. But there, there is a, a sort of root. Now, the other thing I want to bring up, and I made the joke about Caden's last name uh, and Chris Brady. One of the interesting things, and, and now part of it is influenced by the fact that this is the, the sort of nature of everything in U.S. soccer or in soccer globally, is you know teenagers sign these contracts. But I think of the NBA as a comparison point. And I think it's interesting that nobody is making up kicking and screaming about Chris Brady playing basically as a professional, as a 16 year old, uh, you know, Caden Clark, I didn't see anybody being like, Hey, maybe that, sh- that kid Caden Clark should be in school right now. Uh, one person said it as a joke, but when you look at the NBA, right, you, you have all these systems in place to keep 18 year old kids who want to go pro from going pro. And I think it's, there's, I think a certain racial dynamic in play that, you know, in the United States, soccer is a predominantly white sport. And so you don't get that same discourse about, oh, these kids need school. They need to stay in school. And, you know, I, I wonder how basketball would be different if, you know, kids when they hit, were 17, 18, you know, had more, more freedom of choice when they left the, you know, left the, the high school game. This is probably more addressed to you, Kyle, as the NBA expert than Dan, who, you know, uh, can't dribble. I would say it's a combination of a couple factors. I think with soccer, you at least have these academies and you have a path and you have leagues that you can give younger players a chance. While basketball, unless you want to go over to Europe, your alternatives are go to Australia, play in the A-League, which not the best option, but probably the best pro option outside of the NBA. The G League is something that's so far starting to gain traction. But the issue is that as an 18-year-old, you're going on a bus. And I mean, you pretty much are going to be treated like an adult and you're going on a bus and going cross country. But I think it's just the lack of professional leagues to give these younger players a chance. And also because the NCAA, they make way too much money off these players. So they're going to do whatever it takes to keep these players at least in school for one year. Then they can have their March Madness tournament, make billions of dollars from TBS and CBS and all of them to get the money. So it's also the exploitation of getting these young players in basketball, primarily black to do labor for free while the universities and networks walk away with all the money. So there that's, part of the issue as well. I think if there were more leagues that were in place to allow younger talent to thrive other than AAU, I think we'd see more of it, but because of how the current structure is at the NCAA and how the G league isn't quite there yet, I think it's going to take a couple of years for that to happen. So the interesting thing a little bit is that one year, one and done rule is actually in the NBA, you know, collective bargaining agreement, which is kind of interesting, but it, it, it also, you know, uh, it seems like there's a real niche if you're a, uh, you know, if I were a European team, I'd be, you know, sending recruiters to those AAU games in 
offering million dollar signing bonuses to, to a lot of those kids to bring them across for a year. Cause you know, you can play for Barcelona and, and develop and those are, you know, pretty top, top level, right? I mean, uh, teams and they have budgets and, and the money is there. So it's, it's kind of interesting, but I, I, I just, when you hear the discourse surrounding young NBA players wanting to go pro, it has a very different tone than everybody going, Oh, Caden Clark, what a banger, you know? Um, there's, there's less of this kind of paternalistic air about it. Now, fortunately, you know, as well, one of the great things is that a lot of the young, uh, players who are succeeding in Europe are, you know, are black players, uh, you know, Tyler Adams, uh, Weston McKinney, you know, and maybe getting opportunities that they might not in the, the predominantly lily white world of, of American club soccer, uh, Dan. Yeah, I agree. Well, thanks, Dan, for building on my point. <laughs> that's no, that's guys, the witty I mean, repartee that I, I come to come to look at you for in these situations. No, I, the only, you know, I, no, I, I agree with <clears throat> with everything you guys are saying, and I'm sure I did. I also want to place a giant caveat on the whole me uh, recreating Caden Clark's uh, rise to the Red Bulls because I know it's it's a little bit more complicated in that you know he he. Minnesota had his territorial rights based on where he grew up and all those things. I think he was in the Barcelona Academy. Well, well Dan, why don't you discover how, how you met uh, Caden Clark's mom on Twitter to identify yeah, we're, that. We're not going to, we're not going to go into that, but um, no, no, no. Well, the, the joke behind it kind of identifies this. Uh, oh know, yes, sure. You know. So I mean, listen, sometimes facts are just facts and Caden's mom is a very attractive woman. And, uh, but the reason I found <laughs> that's this, why I, I wasn't going there. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I'll just say it. I mean, like I, that's not, I, I, she, I, you know, that, also Kyle, the, the horrific, is. the horrific discovery <laughs> that Dan and I made walking up the ninth tee at Glenway on Saturday with the legal stylist, uh, and, uh, our, our good friend, Jason Ilstrup, who did not, uh, kill anyone is that we were likely both older than Caden Clark's mother. Um, which is really a, a horrifying, you know, realization. But the reason I, I just stumbled upon Caden's mom's Twitter feed was that there, I guess there was a debate going on that often happens in U.S. soccer about who was responsible for developing Caden as a player and people were taking responsibility for it. And then it turned into a joke where just like random people were saying, I developed Caden Clark. No, I developed Caden Clark. No, I developed Caden Clark. Uh, and then the one response was, no, me and his dad did. <laughs> it was Caden Clark's mom responding to the, the, the Twitter post. And then she provided some additional information. Her, I think Caden's dad is some sort of strength and conditioning coach. He might work for the Vikings. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about this. But it was, it was all just kind of hilarious and so U.S. soccer um, and, and, you know, and my only concern, which Keith, I think you've already, you kind of alluded to at the very beginning is I actually flipped on, um, cause I was a glutton for soccer punishment this week. I decided to throw on the Red Bull game, uh, last night and Shep Messing and the other gentleman, um, who, who does the broadcast for Red Bull New York, um, right out of the gate, the whole pregame was just hyping Caden Clark. And I thought to myself, Oh man, here we go. This kid has played what three 
two, three was last night's third match. He scored two goals. Yeah. I think that was his third match last night, two goals in three games. He almost scored another great goal last night, actually like one uh, just over the top of the bar. But I, you know, I just flashbacks to all these players that we've, we've, uh, we've anointed, um, you know, obviously Freddie, you do Juan Aguadello, the list goes Freddie on. Now on playing players. in the Swedish third division, third division of Sweden. Um, um, so, but, so, so Kyle will be giving us weekly updates as he speaks Swedish. Um, you know, looking forward to that. This is um, why you have me here. <laughs> yeah. For the Swedish and Portuguese updates. Um, and, and no, I, I think, look, thank God we have never done that with anyone uh, who plays for forward Madison, <laughs> you know, hashtag Vang train. Uh, if you, by the way, Dan, if you don't want to follow us hyping people uncontrollably on Twitter, what is our Twitter feed? That is at forwards back. two. And we never, ever publish anything about Michael Vang, who uh, I guess at some point we can probably talk about the matches. Uh, and I think we can just lump them together at this point. Um, They're all just draws. It's all just different flavors of draws. It's, and it's all vanilla. It's like <laughs> all different flavors of, of draws as long as they're vanilla. I'd say, I'd say the Fort Lauderdale game was kind of maybe like uh, vanilla with a little bit of chocolate swirl. Or, you well, know, it was vanilla with a little bit of powder, some powder. <laughs> some malt, a little malt. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say it was a different variety. It was like Madagascarin uh, yeah, okay, vanilla. I'll do that. Vanilla versus your standard run whole of the bean, vanilla. Whole bean, whole bean vanilla. It was a whole yeah. bean vanilla ice cream. It was a little richer, but it was still vanilla. Um, so w- w- and d- it melted because d- it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Florida. <laughs> It was a, <laughs> you were just runny vanilla ice cream. That's, if I were to describe our season, it would be runny melted vanilla ice cream. Um, uh, for those of you who've been living under a rock, uh, what we've been saying for weeks has finally come true due to the fact that they try, tied Orlando 2-2 and tied uh, um, Chattanooga 1-1. And then oh, the fact that... Omaha took the green belt from Greenville forward Madison are not making the playoffs before we get to the, you know, our brief non-existent commentary on these two matches thoughts on, you know, not making the playoffs, uh, Dan, Kyle, Kyle, Dan. I I just, just to take the, the ice cream metaphor, one more step. Someone shared this story with me, and I, th- I think this is a good metaphor for the season just in general. They were somewhere getting ice cream. There was a little kid. The mom handed him his ice cream cone. He was all excited, and he went to put it in his mouth and forgot that he was wearing his mask. And he just smashed the ice cream cone on his mask, and it fell on the floor. And I feel like that's a pretty good metaphor for this season. Like, you, you, you're kind of ex- you're excited about that soccer match, but there's just something wrong. <laughs> something something gets in the way of of the match and your enjoyment of the match. Uh, I'm not saying it's the mask necessarily. I'm just saying it's the mask a is season. a metaphor, Dan. Right? <laughs> the mask is a metaphor for life. Yes. Yes. Or 2020. I would, say, I would say the season and these last couple matches, if anything, it's kind of like when you try and shoot your shot with the particular person of interest of yours. You you conjure it up in your head. So Dan on of, Dan on Twitter with Caden Clark's mom. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> you conjure it up in your head. You you think of everything you're going to say. You think of all these things. 
you think it's going to work. It makes sense. You're like, all right, I got this. Perfectly calculated. And when you try and say it out loud in real life, you completely stumble over your words. You're fumbling over it. You make a whole mess of it. And I would say that is Ford Madison season in a nutshell. You have these great ideas. It all made sense in your head. And then when you try to apply it, it the, the results didn't show and you kind of stumble over it. And now you're kind of standing there like, this is hella awkward. What do I do now? <laughs> yeah, I'd say the hard thing for me the last, you know, you know, and God bless everyone because, you know, the hope, the hope's what kills you. But, you know, everyone kind of doing all these permutations where, I mean, it was clear probably three weeks ago, uh, you know, we needed to win out or start winning basically every match at home. Um, and, I, you know, I can't pinpoint the week, but it was like clearly we had missed our opportunity and it, we were just kind of limping along. And, you know, Richmond is kind of shitting the bed at this point. So they kept leaving the door open. Um, it seems like Union Omaha has found their form again. Um, so it just got a little, I mean, for me personally, it just started to feel very tedious kind of watching these matches and, and knowing that, you know, unless some, some obscenely bizarre outcome from all the other matches happened, you know, we weren't going to make the playoffs. Um, and honestly, you know, probably didn't deserve to Def- defensively. Yeah. You can make an argument that we, we had things figured out, but um, I think our attacking play left a lot to be desired as the season went on our midfield. Obviously there was a lot of kind of chopping and changing some of that's because of how many matches we're playing, but we've been talking about it for weeks that, that we just didn't seem to have a coherent strategy for <clears throat> attacking or if we did it wasn't coming off how we were hoping so well so here's yeah, I, what, oh, uh, oh no i was just gonna say uh and then I'll, I'll turn it over to you both of you guys had things you know pinned in hope about your 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 season you know ice cream you're gonna get ice cream you may you may meet that special someone in kyle's scenario here's what i'm gonna tell you forwards madison season is a reminder that life is a long, slow, boring slog to death. That's what you should both know. That's what the listeners at home should know. It's all death. Kyle, make your point. It's going to be really hard to follow that up. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, fi- I assume the season was over once they lost at Tucson. That was kind of your, once you lose that, it was really tough to make up the ground. Then you have the, then they beat Chattanooga and it's like, okay, maybe there is some faint hope. And I'm granted had Richmond not shit the bed. I don't think we'd be having this discussion anyway, because if Richmond had kept on winning, that would have eliminated us earlier. But then, you know, you beat Chattanooga, you have a chance, but then you draw against Omaha, you draw against Chattanooga again, you draw, you just start to commit, you draw against Tucson in a very bland game. It's like, you start getting all these draws, and at some point you just have to realize like if you can't get these goals and we talked about it at the Omaha match, the urgency and the subs weren't there. It's just kind of like a, it, it was kind of a, if you had hope, it was very bless your soul because no, it wasn't going to happen, but now it's kind of a, well, now you're facing North Texas who could still sneak in. Like they're playing well as they got Arturo Rodriguez and North Texas is a threat. It was, it was a long shot just based on the teams that were in front of you. And then to add with the lack of winning it, it, and the lack of attack, it was kind of, it was going to be a big uphill climb. So, I mean, yeah. like I said, for those that had hope after that Chattanooga game, great. 
was not one of them. Yeah. I think my takeaway there from Kyle is, uh, you know, without the winning, (laughs) it was, it was difficult. Great moments in this podcast history last year, Dan declaring, we need to stop conceding goals and Kyle pointing out that winning helps you get into the playoffs. (laughs) Um, well, and I think you guys felt a little groundhog day esque, you know, at a certain point. And I, you know, um, from my end, you know, what were we going to talk about in those last, what are we going to talk about in those last two matches? Like, well, the defense didn't, wasn't as great. Um, but like the same problems we had been identifying all year were there. I mean, I hope our, I mean, first of all, I, I don't know why anybody continues to listen to this podcast, but I hope our listeners, you know, are as sick of us talking about the, the attack being bereft of ideas as, you know, we're tired of talking about it. And then, you know, the, the other, you know, kind of thing related to that is, you know, when people were hopeful, it's like, did you really want to keep watching this team? Like, you know, were you really that excited to keep watching these meh performances week in, week out? Like maybe we could keep grinding out, you know, Last year, there was the excitement of being in the crowd, you know, all that stuff to kind of carry you through some of the performances. But now you're watching on that terrible cat camera angle from Chattanooga, you know, and getting seasick. It, you know, that, and that's I'm I'm I I, I got a I got a bone to pick. <laughs> Andy Rooney <laughs> has chimed in, and as you guys know, I'm a huge fan of Chattanooga. Uh, you build a new stadium that has terrible camera angles that to me seems very strange like why this is also a team that built a new stadium and didn't have lights why yes yes i i it's just mind-boggling to me that that uh one of the worst camera angles in the league is that is a purpose-built soccer stadium where they knew they were going to be showing these matches on television using the camera setup that vista uses vista worldwide or you know, worldwide, worldwide uses to show Just a worldwide pitbull. Um, <laughs> I, I, it was, it was bizarre to me. Um, so. Uh, look, nothing, nothing. Fort about Lauderdale's cameras were great. <laughs> I will say. I, yeah, that, that was probably the best game to watch all year. Um, although who, who are all those people streaming into the stadium behind the one goal? Did you guys see that at one point? <laughs> Flamingo's ex- extended family. There were literally, it had, it, it like never stopped. It was like a hundred people came up these steps and just like walked in behind the goal. And then I was like, are you sure it wasn't tape? like the camera loop? Like we had a hard park last no, year. No, this was this there because the players were moving. So I had other points of reference to know that, that, that this was happening in real life. Uh, so uh, other thoughts here on these last two games, Kyle, Dan, um, you know, the joke was, uh, that, you know, Kyle, you were right. The, the, the offensive plan seems to be, you know, bang it forward and kind of hope for the best. And the three goals, you know, was the, the cross in from, from, uh, Pato, I believe it was for the first against, uh, Orlando, or was it Giro who crossed that one in and it just kind of banged around and ended up in the back of the goal. Michael Vang with some individual brilliance against Chattanooga, you know, the, the second goal against uh, Orlando was a little nicer, but not particularly well worked. Um, so you were right about the offense, you know, kind of hope and pray being the offensive strategy. Uh, any other thoughts, you know, about in your defense, uh, you did say, you know, forward Madison's defense to be reckoned with. So how are you going to defend yourself there? 
Um, in terms of the defense, the back line that played in Fort Lauderdale was not the one I had tweeted about. Um, <laughs> that's really all I got. Granted, I've, it was one different player, so it's really hard for me to... Uh, yeah. How, how little of, do I care, by the way, that I'm just Fort Lauderdale, Orlando. <laughs> it's somewhere down in Florida, which somehow is the only wor- state that is doing worse with the COVID than Wisconsin. Is it, though? Uh, you know, it's close. I mean, when you have a, when you have someone that's running for a government position, calling the Tavern League of the State a bunch of cons, and she is correct, shout out Francesca Hong, <laughs> the Tavern Good League the ban did not work. So, suck it, Tavern League. Go fuck yourself. Uh, also, what are your thoughts about Robin Voss? <laughs> He's a bitch-ass coward. Uh, what I'll also say, if you uh, listeners to the pod, if you've not yet read the Verge story on, I think it's called The Eighth Wonder, uh, the Foxconn boondoggle might be the uh, most apt word to describe what happened in, in Voss's home district in Point Pleasant, Wisconsin. Can't remember the difference between Fort Lauderdale and Orlando, but I can remember Point Pleasant, Wisconsin. We're not going to um, have to remember Orlando much longer. True or not. By the way, does anybody care about Orlando leaving? I mean, only that they've they've been propping up the table for two seasons, so whoever's in last place next year will probably be upset. (laughs) Uh, I mean, look. I feel bad for Flamingos that he's going to have to travel pretty far to see Ford Madison play. That's my only – that's the only sad part about all this. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, here's what I'm going to say about, about this. The best thing that could happen for Ford Madison is that USL dissolves. Um, <laughs> Keith is really, you are like the grim reaper today. Well, you know, that, that's the best thing. Um, I just think it's a scumbag league. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's a grift. I'm waiting. So we're not going to get, look, you look at the, the, the model, right, to sustain forward Madison. We need teams in the Midwest. We need local teams. They need to build nexuses of teams nearby. Region. And, and, you know, we may be getting a team in Fort, uh, in Fort Worth, Fort Wayne, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Fort Worth, Fort Wayne, Fort Lauderdale, too many goddamn forts. Have we thought about putting a team at Fort Douglas? Um, I, I wouldn't object. Uh, I wouldn't object. I think there, there's a fort in Milwaukee that we could put a team at where Paramark. Fort Atkinson. Fort Atkinson, a soccer power uh, back in the day. Uh, we used to, the, the, uh, the freshman team, when I was a freshman, beat Fort Atkinson 13 to nothing, their JV team. And the varsity used to win regularly 20 to nothing. Uh, in those matches, and they were trying not to score after a certain point. Um, but you, you need teams in the Midwest. Where are the teams in the Midwest? You know, you need teams. You know, they're putting a team in Portland, Maine. Uh, I guess that'll work with Revs too. But like, you know, where's there's also the, a team the, supposed to be coming? There's also supposed to be a team coming in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. Okay. So, but where are the Midwestern teams? I'm not disagreeing. Where I, I think Rockford is an ideal market. Why aren't you talking to the fire about getting Rockford? Why is Peter Wolf putting a NISA team in, in Chicago? Why, why aren't we looking at, you know, Rockford, Beloit, Janesville? That seems like a good, 
you know, soccer market for a USL team. Um, or even well, in Minnesota, if you think of like Duluth or Rochester or, yeah. Well, that's what, that, you know, and obviously, I, you know, the, the landscape in MLS is changing very quickly with them launching their own, their own uh, reserve league. Um, but I was under the impression that Minnesota was looking at a team in Blaine, that they were going to try to play, put a USL team in league one in Blaine, uh, the other market up there, I would think that would be, um, would be Rochester that Rochester could support, uh, a USL league one club for sure. I always thought it was a little strange that Des Moines was pushing so hard to be in the USL championship. I think they'd be better suited in USL league one. Uh, I know they'd be a big, they'd be a bigger market, but, um, but Omaha is, uh, is, you know, yeah, and, and I, from and the I league's still, perspective, why are you pushing them to championship? Well, because of more money. I, for, but but I think that's I, I don't. But I think those clubs are making those decisions for themselves. You know, I understand they're probably being pushed in one direction, but I don't see what the benefit is to a mid market club unless you really think you're going to try to push for MLS someday. Why you would choose championship level over league one level? Because as the far as I understand it. All you're talking about is a much larger franchise fee and that's it. Like, it's not like you're get you're getting access to more clubs and bigger markets that you're going into to play, but I don't know how that necessarily turns into more revenue for you. I don't think a lot of consumers in these markets care whether it's a division two or a division three soccer team. Um, it, sometimes it's just a little baffling to me why some of these cities or some of these ownership groups choose the championship, um, you know, maybe now they're looking at USL League One and saying, "Well, I'm glad I didn't go to that league. It's got, it's losing these teams. It's only got, you know, what, I guess, 11 teams committed for next year. I gotta imagine Toronto is gonna bail." Um, yeah, sounds Toronto like bail, if not for yeah. the reserve league, definitely because of COVID restrictions. Right, right. I mean, I'm sure they've got a lot of reasons why they might just decide not to play next season. Um, Sounds like North Texas is the only one who's kind of maybe committed to staying in League One moving forward. So, well, and then uh, you know, there's some question. Tucson and Phoenix broke their agreement, and one of the interesting things, and I, I apologize that I forget who mentioned it on Twitter. I uh, may have been Jeff Reuter's article in the Athletic that you know, you, for a team to be nationally sanctioned, you have to have teams in three different time zones. Um, and then you know, F- you know, that Tucson team is another case. Like, where is the development of teams? for that that tucson team you know to to be able to travel to uh, i've heard spokane mention well that's a long long way away uh you know that's no closer than madison basically at that point you know so where i just don't you know i don't see the organization the, the structuring in terms of making these teams sustainable in the long run from the usl league one ownership group because I think they just want to rake in the franchise fees, you know? Um, yeah. and, and look, we, we posed the question to, to Ryan Madden on this, on this very podcast. And he said, well, we have other factors. I haven't seen them. I'm waiting for them. And so, you know, look, there's a, there's a reason as well why, you know, I, I hypothetically asked why is Peter Wilt starting a club in Chicago with Nisa and not in uh, Rockford with USL? a lot of that doesn't have to do solely with, you know, geography. It has to do with the, the league itself. And I'm, I mean, it's, 
I know there are definitely rumors of like Riverside, like Roma owning a team in Riverside. Don't know what happened with that. There was maybe the Fresno team that closed shop and championship moving down to League One and then relocating to Monterey. That was always something that was floated. Haven't heard anything about that. There was all these markets that te- that was being teased and we haven't really heard anything. And other than Portland, Maine, I, other than Portland, Maine, none have really made big efforts or seem to have provided updates to what's going on. You know, Fort Wayne, it's kind of more of a, whenever DeMarcus Beasley gets that going, who knows when that'll be, maybe COVID slowed it down. High Point was definitely one that was going, like there were so many markets that seem at first, they really get a big push and then all of a sudden they just dropped off the face of the earth. And I mean, it's going to get to a point where USL is probably going to have to bring some of these teams down to the championship. You know, I've heard the switchbacks over in Colorado might be one maybe like um, OKC, for example, like there's going to be some teams that might start dropping down, but you know, unless USL decides to restructure because of all this and how many teams, how many of those two teams leave, because I know what Portland for sure said they're out. Um, But like LA galaxy two is still there. Red Bulls have said they're going to stay. Um, Philly said they're going to drop out, but you have all these other teams where we don't know what's going to happen. I think USL is going to have to force itself to make changes especially if Nisa starts gaining street gaining steam, which we've seen, you know, Peter will putting a team in Chicago, Baltimore getting a team pretty soon next year. You know, yeah, they lost Oakland roof, but they can make that up with some of these other teams that are coming in. And I think, you know, USL is going to have to either make changes itself, or they're going to start seeing less teams be interested in going to there when they can just go to Nisa in the same division without that expansion fee. It'll be an interesting development for sure. Uh, Dan, any closing thoughts there? 26 hours from Tucson to Madison, 22 hours from Tucson to Spokane. How many uh, fish bootlegs would that take you? That would be be about seven to Spokane and about uh, eight, eight and a half, nine, depending on, uh, you know, more. They actually play a little bit longer nowadays, I think, because they're not hopped up on goofballs. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, just as a FYI, I like to listen to, uh, the, um, the Lyndon Baines Johnson biography series from Robert Caro while driving across the country. Uh, the 26 hour drive would be about half of, of one of those, uh, <laughs> unabridged, just, just FYI. Uh, so the, the biggest book I've ever read is the, uh, the power broker by Robert Caro about, uh, I think I've mentioned that on the show before about, um, one racist uh, motherfucker that Ro- Robert Carroll. Well, no, Robert Moses. Robert Moses. Sorry, yeah. Oh, geez. Yes. Not Robert yeah. Carroll. Robert Moses. Sort of a big <laughs> screw up there, Keith. Yes. Uh, so yes, if you ever apologies I, to I Robert Carroll, who everybody describes as a lovely man, Robert Moses. <laughs> I think <laughs> if, I think I've mentioned it before, but if you're interested in how New York City developed the way it developed, why it's kind of set up the way it's set up, the Power Broker, great book. Um, and a lot of the, the sort of racism behind some of the, the hidden decisions there, uh, including the, you know, yeah. the, the various expressways and how they were rooted. Um, so before we wrap up, um, you know, we didn't talk about any of the matches. I had expressly planned not to talk about any of the matches. Uh, next week, we probably won't talk about the matches again. Uh, we may start talking about, you know, what we should, what we're looking for in the off season. Um, but, uh, 
you know, I think that's a noted contrast to, I opened up the, the podcast this week and I want to thank Elliot Barr from uh, the River City podcast for suggesting this to, to all of us with Hello and Welcome, which was a, a tribute to Daryl Grove, uh, who is, it sounds like, losing his, his struggle with, with cancer. Uh, he was, uh, he's a founding member of the Total Soccer Show. And before I kind of turn things over to uh, Dan and, and Kyle to give their thoughts, I think uh, in particular Kyle has some thoughts there. Directly or indirectly, um, when Dan and I started this podcast, um, you know, whether we were aware of it or not, uh, the Total Soccer Show paved the way uh, in the sense that it was just two guys who wanted to talk about soccer and didn't have any necessarily, you know, original claims to uh, that space. And, you know, they, they put in the work and worked really hard. And now it's their full-time gig, which is pretty awesome uh, for those guys. Um, I think if Dan and I had to work together, it would mean the end of our friendship. Uh, and Kyle would, would resign very quickly as, you know, Dan and I yelled back and forth at each other. Uh, so that's, you never have to worry about us going pro, I think is what I'm trying to tell you. But I think it, it, it shows that their admirable dedica- dedication and that they, you know, basically charted the path for two idiots like Dan and I. They were the, the ones that went before. Um, you know, were, were sort of standing on their shoulders. And, uh, you know, the other thing, Kyle, that I've heard about Daryl Grove is nobody has a, a bad word to say about the guy. Yeah, that was kind of what I was going to talk about. When Dan and I went down to Richmond last year, we were fortunate enough to meet Taylor from Total Soccer Show, but Daryl was not there, unfortunately, most likely because he was still fighting his battle. But just meeting Taylor and knowing how good of a person he was and how he how he conducted himself. I can only imagine that Daryl was the exact same way. And you, you just look at all the outpouring support from everyone within American soccer Twitter. I mean, total soccer show was that first show that really had two people talk about soccer in America. And you felt as though they weren't big upping you. You felt as though they weren't, while they, they knew what they were talking about. They never made me feel dumber because of it. I think that's something that was really important. And I think for a lot of soccer supporters in America, that was the first podcast. That's like one of the first soccer podcasts they got into before either starting their own or listening to other ones. And, you know, it's just really unfortunate that something like this has to happen to such a good person and who absolutely doesn't deserve it. And I think that's really the toughest part in all of this. You know, he was fighting, he tried this trial, it's just not working. And it just sucks because, you know, for a lot of people, it's just come to that reality that this is happening. And I give my condolences to to Daryl and his family, to Taylor and everyone that has met Daryl. And it's, yeah, it's really unfortunate. And, you know, I think it's also just a timely reminder that fuck cancer. I, I think that's uh, very well well stated. And, um, you know, I, I think as well, um, one of the things that I heard from, Elliot uh, Barr in, in just kind of a, a chat on, on Twitter is that, you know, those guys help mentor Elliot, uh, you know, and, and get that River City 93 podcast off off the ground. And, you know, that they, they could have looked at him, oh, you're in Richmond, you're stepping on our turf, but they, they wanted to support him and help them and get them going. And, you know, everybody has a, a great, great things to say. And so, um, yeah, uh, condolences and, and well wishes for all the people involved with the Total Soccer Show to Daryl's family. And I, I think the idea of, of hopefully, 
you know, Daryl uh, gets a chance before he goes to, to sort of hear the nice things that people are saying about him um, and what a difference he made to, to so many people um, lessens, lessens that a little bit. Uh, kind of hard to, to follow from that. Dan, did you have anything else that, that you wanted to add to that? Just that Flamingos pointed out on <clears throat> Twitter today that Daryl's a big Wolves supporter, so Wolves with the 1-0 win today, so... Uh, yeah, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, we can, we can do that in his honor. So uh, with that in mind, uh, just want to say forwards, not backwards, upwards, not, uh, I, I can never do it because I, I, I'm thinking here. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm a bit verklempt, uh, you know, uh, forwards, not backwards, upwards, not forwards, and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedoms. <laughs>